And it's taken, what a catch! My goodness me, Jess Jonathan, never look at the smile. Finger goes up, excellent over so far from Deandra Dutton. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our first episode of Ladies Who Leg Spin for the New Year. I'm Mary Kay, and coming in from the Paddington end, I've got Brittany Carter. Good morning, Britt. (laughs) Hey, Mary, how's it going? Very well. How are you? Good. Now, Britt, there's a rumour going around the internet that you met cricketing royalty yesterday. Is it true (laughs) that you met the great cricketers? (laughs) I did meet them. I was on their podcast as a guest, which was a bit unexpected. Um, Good fun. I don't know if they're cricketing royalty, and I think they'll appreciate (laughs) that sledge. Um, Yeah, no, good fun. I loved it. Good. I'm really, really glad you had a good time. And we've got a really good show coming up today. So in a little while, we'll be joined by Susie Bates from the Perth Scorchers. And later on, we'll be talking to Nathan Bracken as well to fill us in on what's been happening in the BBL and the upcoming test. But first, let's talk WBBL. Now, Britt... I'm a little upset at you, actually, because you made me call my top four last week, and ever since I did, it's absolutely gone to a big mess. Yeah, completely. I I think my top four has gone to a mess too, and I think that's just that just shows how tight this competition is at the moment. Everyone's popping in and constantly in and out of the top four, and you know, net run rate is dividing some of these teams too. So. Yeah, it's it's tough call, and um, I think we were bold in our in our predictions. <laughs> Maybe a little bit too bold, they but might, they might come off. You never know. Well, they might because the thing about it is, is that it's still very much anyone's competition because there are only two points separating the first place Sydney Sixers and the seventh place Brisbane Heat. So really, it is still anyone's game. So come on, strikers! Like I think I predicted you for first. So come on. <laughs> but let's have a look at that ladder. So the Sydney Sixers are now on top of the ladder on ten points, and Britt, after watching them this week for me it's evident how strong they are with the bat so Alyssa Healy has been absolutely outstanding but in their 19 run win over the strikers this week their middle order also shone so Ash Gardner got 26 from 14 Sarah McGlashan 18 from 12 and Dane Von Niekirk 25 from 15 and between them all they scored nine boundaries in the last six overs and pretty much made the game out of reach for the strikers what have you noticed about them this week Britt? Uh, I think you're right in talking about the top order and then that middle order performing as well for the um, the Sixers. And Alyssa Healy is in outstanding oh, form. She? She's almost outshining Elise Perry at mm-hmm. the top there. I think she's more of a T20 batter than she is in a, a one-dayer, and that's really paying off. And although Elise can sort of be counted on to hold one end of the crease and um, tick over those runs after Alyssa gets out with her big shots and <laughs> the fancy stuff, she's really key to their batting as well because she's coming second on the total runs just behind Meg Lanning so she's 259 that's her total so far this season which is huge and yeah you've got Ash Gardner just sitting out outside that top five in total runs and she's only 19 Mm -hmm. uh, represented Australia in the um, Indigenous Women's Cricket team last year and captained that side actually and at a function I was at this week for the test Andrew Jones cricket New South Wales CEO said he predicts she'll play for Australia very soon Ooh, that's exciting. so 19 years old and to be already you know thinking that they're going she's going to play for Australia I think that speaks for itself really absolutely and we're talking about their batting and that's been super strong but their bowling has also been really good this week so 
They beat the Strikers again later in the week by four runs. And shout out to our little mate, Lauren Smith. She got three <laughs> crucial wickets on the day. Talia McGrath, Tammy Beaumont and Sarah Coit. Lisa Stalaker was also great. So she's been good in commentary and on the field with three wickets. And the Sixers play the Scorchers next, who are second on the table with 10 points. I think that's going to be a really exciting contest. I completely agree. And the only thing difference between these two at the moment is their net run rate. Mm-hmm. And it's divided by 0.2 points. It's nothing, right? It's nothing, no. So they've both won five and lost three. And I think you're right. I think it's the match of the round because the Scorchers have been in superb form. But in saying that, they need Elise Falani to fire. So she's done very well for them. But in the games that she hasn't, they've struggled to win. Mm-hmm. So I think that she's key and if the Sixers are looking to take a win here, they're going to have to have a tactic coming into this game to get her out cheaply and quickly. I agree with that. And I just need to comment on that Scorchers batting because they beat the Stars by nine wickets earlier this week. And it was largely thanks to Elise Villani and Susie Bates who had a 116-run partnership. Elise has been fantastic. So she scored 57 from 44 balls and hit eight boundaries during that game. So I completely agree with you, Britt. I think it's going to be the match of the round. Next on the ladder, we've got the Hobart Hurricanes and they're on eight points and they find themselves third after that win against the Sydney Thunder. I'm really enjoying the Hurricanes at the moment for it because it's a real team effort. So there are a lot of teams in the WBBL who have one or two standout plays. We were just talking about the Scorchers with Elise Villani. But the Hurricanes have four players that have scored over 100 runs this season. So Heather Knight, Georgia Redmayne, Hayley Matthews and Amy Satterwhite. And they don't have that problem on being too dependent on one player. Oh, yeah, completely. I'm going to say that as well, that they're a complete team all around. And that's something that I really enjoy about watching them play as well. And it reminds me of that New South Wales culture. And I know that some of them are from Tasmania and some are from New South Wales. So to see them come together and really count on each other all as a team is is quite refreshing. But that's also because they play the WNCL format together leading up to this competition. So they're all, you know, those relationships are formed and those bonds are there. And most of them have played you know, the last two big bashes together as well. So I think that's reflective. But yeah, having four players that have scored over 100 runs, I think it's a great achievement and uh, it does show that they're all pulling their weight for the team. And I mean, in that game against the Thunder, they won by 44 runs and they scored the highest WBBL total ever with 171 runs. Like that is a massive run run chase for the Thunder and even if we were talking BBL like that is a significant total. Yeah I mean in the Big Bash you're hoping to get that 200 mark so that's not that far off if you think about it and I mean we know that women aren't hitting the same sixes the men are capable of so that is a huge total as you said and I'm actually really keen to see them play the Thunder again because having that New South Wales aspect in it again you know you've got people that know and are very familiar with their opposition and I think that the Thunder is a similar sort of team in that there's a lot of all-rounders. Mm-hmm. They're tight fielders like the Hurricanes as well. And, yeah, it's all about that team aspect. So I think the Thunder are lacking that a little bit at the moment. Um, but I think that's what's exciting about this clash, the Hurricanes and the Thunder. Absolutely. So next on the ladder we've got the Melbourne Stars and they're on eight points. Meg Lanning, we talk about her every week, but she continues to shine. So she's got the most runs in the competition at the moment, 363 and eight winning eight innings, not winnings, <laughs> and she scored 450s. Britt, there was a little bit of confusion this week with the Stars and the Duckworth-Lewis rule. It's the first time I've ever really heard about it. Can you fill me in? So 
Uh, Meg Lanning seemed a little bit frustrated after the Stars lost to the Renegades after the rain affected the play in um, the match that they played at the MCG. So Duckworth Lewis usually comes into place when rain has affected play and it's calculated mathematically but it's a rather controversial method because sometimes the target seems too easy in this case or impossible like 40 runs from one ball Mm. so I don't think players are a huge fan of it but at the moment there's no other alternative Mm -hmm. there was an article in the paper written up about Meg Lanning sort of questioning the umpires afterwards because Rachel Priest her wicket fell after the Duckworth Lewis target had been set she thought the wickets were supposed to contribute to the fact that the target would then go up um, and be calculated again after that happened. But the umpire said no. So I think what's funny that in that you say, I've never heard of Duck Lewis before and I don't know what it is, is because no one does. No. Even people that even are playing the game. <laughs> exactly. So even anymore. our Australian captain has mm. no idea what the hell it is. So uh, I think <laughs> it's a, a bit of a controversial method and the stars will fire back and they'll be keen to get a win over the Renegades this time around. Brett, our beloved Sydney Thunder sit next on eight points and it's been a mixed week for them with a 3-1 victory over the Brisbane Heat earlier in the week, followed up by a loss to the Heat and then a loss to the Hurricanes. Now I have to say the Thunder win over the Heat was definitely one of my favourite games this week. Rachel Haynes was outstanding and she scored 40 from 29 balls. And then there was that phenomenal catch from Hayley Burkett. (laughs) She flew through the air like a superhero to take that catch. I loved it. It was fantastic, wasn't it? And I think something that's really key for the Thunder in terms of looking forward in this competition as we head towards the finals is that they lost pretty significantly to the Sixers last time we played them. Uh, we played them. They played them. No, we're part of the team. We uh, played them. <laughs> we're in the we're the twelfth man in we the stands. <laughs> um, yeah, so they got a game coming up against the Sixers soon enough, and. As we mentioned the last time they lost, and it was a pretty significant loss, they they outclassed us, let's be honest. Um, so if they're able to beat the Sixers this time around, I think it'll prove that they still have that fight there to, to defend their title. And it will make a strong statement that they can still beat the flashy teams that have those big standout players. Something that I was talking about on, on Twitter this week about the Thunder with Snahal Pradam is we were tweeting about Harmanpreet Kaur and how she she's sort of batting lower than fourth in the order still. And this is something that's quite puzzling for me and a few other people as well because she's proven she's a big signing for them with her performances. And at this stage in the comp, despite their loyalties to Stallenberg and Taylor, she's outperforming them and she needs to be elevated higher. You were there when she hit that six-over cover in the first game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since then she's been batting – she's still stuck Below fourth, yeah. So T20 is such a quick game and the fall of wickets does see a significant stall in teams' rhythm and their ability to score runs. And I think if we push her higher, she'll get comfortable quicker, she'll get into that rhythm and we'll see some more boundaries and some higher totals for the Thunder because they're also not using her when it comes to bowling. I mean, she hasn't really bowled since she took that four wickets in a game and that's just so puzzling Puzzling. for me. Why would you not use someone that's in form and is your key international signing? It's very, very curious, Britt. Maybe we'll see some changes for their next game against the Sixers. Now, next on the ladder, also on eight points, are the (laughs) Adelaide Strikers. Now, I have to say Tammy Beaumont's innings during the loss to the Sixers for me was really good to see because she struggled a little bit this season. So she scored 57 from 56 and that had seven fours and a six. I have to say, though, the strikers seem to be struggling with their bowling and none of their bowlers are even featuring the top 15 wicket takers of the season so far. 
They play the Stars next, Brit. What do they need to do to win this game? I think it's tough for them. I really mm. do because, I mean, I've tipped them to make the top four. Tipped them to win. <laughs> tipped them to come out first. Come on, Strikers. And uh, without Sophie Devine, I mean, that game on TV, she went for a dark and that was her worst performance in the season after some outstanding, absolutely outstanding performances. And now she's headed back home to New Zealand and they haven't got her. And I'm pretty sure she's not coming back. I'm pretty sure she's committed to playing the New Zealand domestics um, competition over there, which is really, really bad news for them. I think on last week's podcast, I talked about how nobody else had made over 20 or so, and she'd done all the work batting for them. So I don't know where they go to from here. I mean, they've got good bowlers. We talked about four strong bowlers that they had leading into this competition and I'm not sure why the results aren't coming at this stage. Yeah, I'm not sure either, Brett. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Next on the ladder, we've got the Brisbane Heat with eight points. And, Brett, I've got to say I'm really feeling sorry for the Heat. They're currently without Deandra Dotton and Holly Furling at the moment. And for me, that's really had an impact. They had a good win over the Thunder earlier this week, though, and won by nine wickets thanks to the batting of Beth Mooney and the bowling of Cara Sutherland. She only bowled 12 balls, but she took crucial wickets of Nicola Carey, Aaron Osborne and Alex Blackwell. They play the Hurricanes next. Is bowling the key for the heat going into this game? I think they'd have to make sure that it is tight and um, pick the strongest people that they have to do the job there. And something about the heat season that's really puzzled me is they've been able to beat key teams like Mm -hmm. I know that um, Dodden was their savior in that first game that they came out and smashed the sixes but then you had Beth Mooney come out against the Scorchers and she really performed and they've also had recent wins over the Stars and the Thunder so when you look at the games that they've played they've usually won one and lost one against most of the teams they've played it means that they can do the job that they Just have not consistently. Yeah, they they have the players there to do it, but why is it not happening all the time? And I think that they need to start beating these teams back to back if they hope to get forward in this competition. Now, Britt, last on the ladder are the Melbourne Renegades with five points. And for me, they're a bit of an interesting team at the moment. Earlier this week, they beat the Stars in front of a record WBBL crowd of over 24,000 at the MCG by nine wickets. Rachel Priest was outstanding. She scored seven fours in the first 16 deliveries she faced. Grace Harris has also done well too. So in the game against the Scorchers, Harris finally went off and scored 39 from 17 balls. And we've been waiting for her to fire this season, and she finally has. With Priest and Harris firing, can the Renegades make a final push for the finals? I don't see why not. They're only behind the top leaders by two wins and that's how tight this competition is like the Sydney Sixers are at the top with five wins from eight games Melbourne Renegades at the bottom with three from nine mm. so there still is that chance there and we saw the Sydney Sixers make that huge surge for the the title having lost a heap of games at the start so they can still do it and they've re- they've won some key games I was just talking about Brisbane you know beating some of the key people in this competition They've beaten the Stars, they've beaten the Scorchers. So why is it that, you know, they're sitting so low? And I think it's because we saw them get run out and unable to close some of those really tight games at the start of the competition. And I think you're right. I think Harris and um, Priest really need to fire and, and get them some higher totals to defend. So I think the bottom line is we tipped our top four, but it's pretty much anyone's competition. And we've still got some very, very exciting cricket to watch. Yeah, I can't wait. This competition's been awesome, hasn't it? it has. It's been great. It's been great. We'll come back in a sec and chat with Susie Bates from the Perth Scorchers. Huzzah! 
Now, we're very lucky this morning because we're joined by White Ferns and Perth Scorchers captain Susie Bates, who became the first player in 2016 to win both the ICC Women's One Day International and T20 International Player of the Year Awards. Good morning, Susie. Morning, how are you? Good. And you're in Sydney at the moment, aren't you, preparing for your clash against the Sixers? Yeah, we got here yesterday from Melbourne, so um, play tomorrow and Monday against the Sixers, so two pretty big games for us. 2016 was a really big year for you. You were a standout for the Scorchers last season, scoring 220 runs and on top of that taking eight wickets in nine matches. And you then top scored for the White Ferns at the World T20 Tournament in India. Is there a particular moment that stands out to you from last year? Um, I feel like I've played so much cricket, which is probably the most <laughs> exciting thing, is that, um, yeah, I guess in the past you have long winters and you're, you, you're wanting to play as much as you can, whereas I guess the last 18 months I've played a lot of cricket and the Big Bash starting was really exciting and to make the semi-finals that first year um, was a highlight in terms of the Big Bash and then just the way we played at the World Cup, although we got knocked out in the semi-finals as well, I thought um, we were, you know, one of the favourites and just happened to get beaten by the West Indies. But both those tournaments um, were just really exciting to be a part of. You make the comment that there's so much cricket for you to play now. Is that exciting about the women's game that you're constantly playing and you don't really get a break anymore? Yeah, it, it is exciting. Yeah, it's um, getting used to being away a lot more and, and playing rather than training, but um, yeah, I've been playing for over 10 years and the last two years it's just changed dramatically and you've got players all around the world that are full-time um, playing in England in the Super League, playing here in the Big Bash and then the ICC Championship being all year round um, makes it a full-time job which as a female athlete is pretty exciting. I didn't, I guess when I started playing I didn't really see it as a career, it was just something I loved to do and um, I'm still playing thankfully. <laughs> Susie, the Scorchers are currently sitting on second place on the ladder because of some incredible team performances. For me, a standout has been Elise Villani, who is one of the top-run scorers in the WBBL with already three half-centuries. What's it been like playing alongside her this season? Yeah, that's the, um, I guess the beauty of this tournament is, you know, usually I'm playing against her and planning how to get her out with the white ferns, um, but I really enjoy batting with her because she takes a bit of the pressure off down the other end and, and whacks it pretty hard, so it's good to watch. And, you know, the group we've got with um, Catherine Brunn and Anya Shrubsaw from England as well, we've got a pretty talented side, so it's enjoyable to captain because you sort of ask them to do stuff and they can deliver pretty much all the time. So, yeah, loving just getting to know some of the other players when you've only played against them and you probably... I know someone like Catherine Brunt when you play against her. Um, you don't tend to like her, but as soon as <laughs> she's on your team, um, you love everything about her. Someone else that's performed for the Perth Scorchers is Emma King, who's an off-spinner and has taken the most wickets for you guys so far. She's taken 11, in fact, more than yourself or Catherine Brunt, who have that international experience. Um, and she is a spinner, I mentioned, and both you guys are pacers. So it's interesting to see that that's sort of working for you. Are you looking to spin to take the wickets of key opponents? Yeah, it's interesting in, in the women's game. I think spin in all the competitions are... Is something that um, females tend to struggle with at times. I think we're getting better at better at um, using our feet, but 
um, we've talked about as a group, and Lisa Cutley, our coach, has said, um, you know, the international players are here to, to play and be consistent, but it's going to be our, our local players that make the difference in those close games. So Emma King's been outstanding in terms of doing that job when teams perhaps don't go after Brunton Shrubso and then they've got Emma King coming on and she's taking wickets for us every time I've given her the ball. When I think of the performers this year in the Women's Big Bash, a lot of Kiwis come to mind. So you've got Amy Satterthwaite, who's absolutely been killing it, Sophie Devine, Sarah McGlashan, Rachel Priest. Why are you guys dominating our Australian comp? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, like, it's really pleasing to see. I think... Um, we're just pretty fortunate at the moment. The, the group of players we've got, we're all a similar age and, and we have been around a while. I think if you look at the White Fans team, our average age is probably the highest out of the other teams, especially now that Charlotte Edwards isn't playing. Um, <laughs> that probably bumps their average down a bit. But yeah, I just think Priesty's um, been playing a lot of cricket, got a lot of confidence from playing in these competitions. Branch and, or Amy, sorry, and Sophie in my opinion, have been some of the best batters in the world. But now they're performing in these competitions against some of the best players. Their confidence is growing and growing. And now Australia don't seem, I guess, such a threat because we play alongside them um, and against them week in and week out, whereas we used to just play them all together. And sometimes that was, I guess, a little bit daunting to some of the Kiwis. But now, I guess, we've got past that. So you mentioned that Charlotte Edwards is no longer with you this season. Has she been a big loss for you guys? Do you miss her? Yeah, she, of course, someone of um, Charlotte's caliber is, is great for a young group like this. And, you know, she consistently scores runs and to have someone's bat around at the top of the order. But, you know, that's just the nature of 2020 cricket and there's going to be changes to the Big Bash teams each season. And it's just being able to adapt and, and play with different players. And, um, you know, opening the batting with Elise has been, has been really positive as well so um, we've got some really experienced players with Lauren Esbury um, coming in as well so um, you know though we've we've missed her probably her tactics um, we've got a pretty good leadership group at the moment anyway. Susie the Scotches take on the Sixers tomorrow at Hurstville Oval who are the danger players that the Scorchers need to keep an eye on? Yeah well yeah you can't really look past um, Perry and Healy um, I think Healy opening the innings is probably a little bit more of a threat and they aim to bat around Perry. Um, so we know that Healy's the key wicket and as long as we can um, contain Perry or, or get her out early ideally, um, we can get into their middle order. But they just keep coming at you with um, Sarah McGlashan. Gardner's been going really well and, and Van Niekirk is a huge threat. So, But we've just got to stick to our plans and hopefully make them play shots they don't want to. And um, then I think you know our batting order, we've got... a a pretty long batting order. We just have to bowl well at some of their really talented players. Susie, you mentioned that you've been playing cricket for a long time. Can I ask what your earliest memories of the sport were? Because I know you have two older brothers who also love the sport. Um, yeah, I, I have been playing for as long as I can remember. <laughs> but yeah, just in the backyard with my two brothers, they got me into it. I just wanted to join in because I was a bit bored being um, the younger sister and just playing in the backyard and bowling at my brother for hours and hours. I didn't actually get much of a bat when I was younger, so I was more of a bowling all-rounder, but then I learned that batting was way more fun and hitting sixes was more what I wanted to do. Susie, cricket is not the only sport you've represented New Zealand in. I know you represented um, your country in basketball during the 2008 Olympics. Was there a point where you had to pick between basketball and cricket, and how tough was that choice? 
Yeah, um, I was pretty lucky, I guess, when I started. I wasn't full-time and we weren't contracted. So I guess the nature of women's cricket at the moment, it's, it's harder to do that. But I was able to play basketball in the winter and cricket in the summer for quite a long time. But then sort of got to the point where, you know, the seasons were clashing and I was asked to captain the white friends and I thought if I was going to accept that, I couldn't really be enough to, to play basketball when we had important training camps and tours on so that was probably the point I think it was 2011-2012 where the coach at the time he did like me to captain and I had to decide um, whether cricket was going to be the priority otherwise I didn't think I could do the captaincy so from then it has been a Friday and I've played less and less basketball. Susie, you seem to also spend a lot of time travelling to schools and spending time with the next generation of young cricketers. To all young women dreaming about playing cricket and representing their country, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think it's um, it's not that... Well, it doesn't seem that long ago that I was just watching cricket on TV and, and usually it was the, the men we looked up to. I, I know Nathan Astle um, was one of my favourite players and the first time I saw a woman play on TV was the 2000 World Cup and I realised that you know, girls could play for their country too. So now what's so exciting is not just cricket, but women's sports in general is on TV and young girls can um, aspire to be any athlete they want. And I think that's the most exciting thing for me is um, getting out to young girls and just telling them that if they, they want to be an athlete, um, there's a career in it and they've just got to work hard and make sure they enjoy what they're doing. And if it's not cricket, I'm, I'm okay with that. But um, if there's something that you're passionate about, um, it can be a career and it's a really cool lifestyle in terms of travelling and, and keeping fit and healthy. In February, the White Ferns will take on Australia in, in a tour. Having played in the Big Bash, does it help when it comes time to play the Southern Stars? Yeah, I think um, it's been massive for us. Um, last year we played that 2020 series and we'd had five or six players play in the and perform really well and you just learn that the Aussies are, are just um, other athletes with two arms and two legs and um, <laughs> you know can, um, they are just as vulnerable at times as us so I know that series um, our players were so confident going into it and you know we there's no doubt about it. Australia, uh, in my opinion, the best side in the world at the moment. So whenever we play them, um, we tend to bring our A game and know we have to get up for it. And players like Amy and Sophie um, have performed so well, their confidence is massive. Before we let you go, Susie, we hear that karaoke is a hidden talent of yours. What's your go-to song? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, I have been caught singing in public a few times, generally <laughs> encouraged by Charlotte Edwards because... <laughs> She loves to sing, but I have always been a fan of SingStar, but I um, love a lover by Sonia Dada. Um, oh. You don't treat me no good no more. Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of an old school one that I, I rate myself if I have to sing in front of others. Did you and Charlotte ever sing a song together while you were at the Perth Scorchers? We did have to drive out to training at Murdoch a few times. Um, and at the time, Justin Bieber's Love Yourself was the song that was um, playing a lot. So I often... I wasn't the driver, so I did a lot more of the singing, but I think that's maybe why she went to Adelaide. (laughs) Love it. Susie, thank you so very much. Good luck in the game against the Sixers tomorrow. I'll be there, so I can't wait to see you play. Thanks very much, guys. No worries. Nice, Gary!
We are super lucky to be joined this morning also by former Australian cricketer Nathan Bracken. Good morning, Nathan. How are you? Oh, I'm well. Yourself? Very well, thank you. Now, we usually do this segment and have a chat about our two big moments from the Big Bash this week. So we thought we'd throw to you first and hear what your favourite moments have been from the week. Uh, I'd, probably number one for me is, is just the talent. It's just the young talent coming through and, and it's a different player every week. You sort of sit there and you watch things and you, you watch how it's all progressing and, and somebody else pops up and surprises you and does something different or something special. And even if you have a look at, at Webster last night and his, his first game batting at number seven, scores the highest runs that we've seen so far at, at number seven. And it's those things that just keep surprising you with the talent that's coming through. No, that's one of my favourite things too. There seems to just be a different hero every week. Yeah, I think that's what that's what this game brings because it is it's one performance that can really can really change the batting setup or the bowling setup, and that's that's where a player they sit in the position and they just know that hey, all I need to do is it's something special. One player needs to do it. So when it's when it's in that position, you've got players that are pushing hard, but then also the fact in, in just the way the game's structured now, it is you're at 100% from ball one right through and, and you're pushing it as hard as you can. Mistakes happen, but then magical things happen on the other side. <laughs> so, Nathan, that's highlight number one. What's number two? Uh, you've just got to say Chris Lynn, don't you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Absolutely. Than that. He's, he's covered it pretty well. And, and the thing is, when you have a look at, I guess, going into the tournament, everybody sat there and thought, Brendan McCullum, I, I've played alongside Brendan, I've played against Brendan and he's an amazing cricketer and things that he can do are unbelievable but to see in Perth what Chris Lynn did and and Brendan just basically sat back and said, here you go, I'll hit the ball and get up the other end and, and sit back and watch the show. Nathan, I'm really glad you brought up Chris Lynn because he was my highlight from last week as well. But look, I just can't help talking about him. So Australia are now calling him and Brendan the Bash Brothers. Their partnership this week scored 148 of the 174 runs that the Heat needed. And it's the highest ever second wicket partnership ever seen in the Big Bash. He's amazing to watch. He is. And the big thing is he keeps it simple. He doesn't, he doesn't overcomplicate it, especially early. He gives himself the opportunity to get in before he starts to play, I guess, the more riskier shots. Like even, I guess, when you have a look at, I think it was last week where he was dropped first or second ball out at, out at deep mid wicket. It was still a genuine cricket shot. It wasn't a, it wasn't, he wasn't dragging it from three foot outside off stump and trying to flick it behind square. It was in, it was in the hitting arc and he hit through it. He just didn't quite get it as clean as he wanted. And that's how he structured it right through and, and that's something that I think a lot of kids coming into the game and, and wanting to play this on this form need to sit back and have a look at. He hasn't changed anything. This is how he plays his game. Give yourself the opportunity before you start to look at playing your big shots. So I think Tim Ludman from the Adelaide Strike has sort of summed it up. He tweeted, I think it's only fair that the six is renamed to a Lynn. I think that's pretty fair, yeah, don't a, you? <laughs> it's, a, it's a fair comment. What is he on, about 24 or 25 now, I think, for the for the oh, summer? And I think the nearest like bloke is, is about 12 or 13. And he's scored more sixes than some of the other teams have in total on his own, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> we have a look last innings. What was it? He got 11 sixes and three fours. Yeah. I think it was. It was something ridiculous. And, and when you look at that, and, and I think at, at one stage, the next person on the table was at 11 sixes, and he hit that in one game. So... And it's just, yeah, he, he makes it look easy. And, and it's now to the point where it's going to be interesting to see bowling plans and bowling attack and how they go about dealing with him um, because they have to change. 
Yeah, well, Perth struggled against them, didn't they? Yeah, well, everybody has. Nobody's really, really dominated him in in the last two years. And if he doesn't get called up to play on the Australian one-day side, then then there's something that's seriously, seriously going on. Like, we've seen some some interesting decisions through selections this year, and and probably the Pete Neville one's the one that really stands out to me and was I was really, really disappointed for that decision for Pete because I don't think he'd done anything wrong as a keeper. Um, and I think the decision to drop him, I don't think we've picked up anything with the batting, but we've lost keeping. We've mm. dropped catches, which weren't happening before, and hopefully we don't see the same thing with Chris and not get the opportunity. He's in form, pick him. Yeah. Let him play and let him score runs. So we're going to talk about the test very shortly. But the other standout in the Big Bash for Mary and I this week was the Thunder's last ball. <laughs> we're both Thunder fans, so we're so glad that they finally got a win. <laughs> so defending the title that they won last year hasn't been um, exactly smooth sailing at this stage. They've only won one of the five games they've played. And I wanted to bring up a, a question for you, Nathan, because... You were quoted in an article, you were one of the go-to death bowlers for Australia for a while, and you were talking about being a death bowler in the Big Bash and how it's high risk but high reward. So Ben Hilfenhaus was trying to to deliver a Yorker to Owen Morgan and end up getting hit for six and losing the match as a result. Um, what do you have to say about that? The thing is, it's when you look at it, you've got to, you've got to basically give yourself the opportunity to, to get the result you want. And when you have a look at at somebody and, and you look at Morgan's probably a little bit different because he can play all around the ground. Uh, but even at the start of the over, he needed to close out that over. And the biggest thing is you want to build up as much as you can to the back end of your over. So for him, it was, okay, he got it to needing, I think it was five off the last ball or four off the last ball for the, for the game. But if you can get dots in and it's, it's making the key decisions. And one that really stood out was, who's bowling slow balls to Pat Cummings, who couldn't hit him to save his life. And that's not been mean to Pat because it is difficult. And they're all at different paces. And then all of a sudden he changed that and bowled a quicker one. Cummings hits it for six. All of a sudden it brings him back in the game. Mm. He had to close that out. And that means if he hits a slow ball for six, fantastic. That's There's nothing you can do. You've played the odds in your favour. Whereas to me, by him going and bowling the quicker one, he put the odds in, in Cummings' favour. He changed something which Pat couldn't hit to make it easier for him. And if he had closed that out and that hadn't gone for six, all of a sudden they win the game. Mm. doesn't matter what Morgan does last ball, they can't win it. And that's what it is. It's just giving yourself that opportunity, backing it up as far as you can and pushing it as far as you possibly can before you can see it. Because I don't think Pat Cummings was going to hit him over the fence if he kept bowling slow balls. How do you think you would have fared in the big bash, Nathan? Oh, I would have had fun, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the thing is, it's just it's just been creative. It's just it's changing things like we're seeing it right through. We're seeing right arm bowlers bowling round the wicket to, to shut down one side of the field and, and that's your big thing. It is it is shutting down sides of the field. It is trying to control where players hit the ball and, and it goes in a cycle every every couple of years where we see the bowlers will start to dominate and the batters will and, and it goes back and forth and, and I think this year we're seeing Bowlers coming up with different ideas and different plans because they're starting to learn and understand the game. Um, they're starting to learn and understand how players are playing it. And it's just going to be that continuing motion. And we're going to see it through. I was a little bit disappointed with the with the Thunder. I was hoping, obviously, after winning the title, they'd always struggled to get a few key players. Um, like We've sort of had the senior, senior players 
which are your marquee names that they that you can sort of get, but it's been that middle tier that we've sort of struggled to to fill. And I think winning off off the back of winning, it was a chance to try and pick up three or four good players that, that sit in that middle gap that are your players that if they perform well are going to push for Australian selection but they're not quite there yet and I think that's a hole that they missed because they've got the young talent we've seen that and when they've got the senior players performing we've seen that it's just that middle gap that they need to plug a little bit better and and get some players that fill that role. Nathan, I would have loved to have seen you in the Big Bash because we see far too many athletes wearing headbands now. You started that. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, oh, you've, got to, you've got to leave something with the game, don't you? No, absolutely. So you've got Adam Zampa doing it. And Aaron Woods in the Rugby League wears one too. So I think we can credit you for starting that off. Thank you. I'll appreciate it. I'll take that. <laughs> Good one. Now, let's head on to the test. Australia are leading Pakistan by 410 runs. And Pakistan lost one wicket yesterday. So Australia are still chasing some wickets today. Nathan, what have been your standout moments from the test this week? I just think it's been it's been the way the um the top order have approached the game. Like you have a look at Warner and Renshaw, they work perfectly together. Renshaw was was obviously taking his time and, and using the opportunity to get himself in and, and having David Warner at the other end who's scoring quickly and explosively, it allows the players to do that and it just upped the tempo of where it all sat and, and it sort of gave Renshaw the opportunity to to get a big score on the board and it's a little bit disappointing he couldn't go on with it and, and make it a double, but He's got that big 100 under his belt. Everybody now in the squad knows, hey, this guy's deserved his opportunity. He's playing good cricket. And the thing is, it's the same thing. They pick players in form. And that's that's where you see the difference. You've got form players going out there and playing games. And the batting order all of a sudden now, it's not guys that are looking a little bit scratchy. It's guys that are in form, playing good cricket, that all of a sudden we're seeing that the top four or five are really are really nailing home the advantage as soon as we get that chance. So uh, listening to uh, Chris Rogers on the ABC, he's talked about a little bit what you did just then about letting David Warner do his thing and then sort of patiently waiting at the other end of the crease. Do you think Matt Renshaw then deserves to go to India instead of Sean Marsh like everyone's sort of been speculating? Oh, he scored 160, you can't drop him. And well, I suppose you can because it's happened before Simon Caddick scored 100 and didn't go to Sri Lanka. But I guess when you have a look at it, you, you've got to pick your players in form. And they've just done a 3 0 series. Um, and Renshaw's been good in all games. And the thing is, you can't sit there and go, oh, well, he doesn't play spin well. He's got 164 and 160 plus in, in Sydney on, on a turning wicket. And Sydney's probably the, the biggest turning wicket you're going to find in Australia. And, and he's been the top scorer for the Australian innings. And, and when you look at that, that's what you've got to take across. And fair enough, take Sean Marsh. I'm happy with that because I'm a, I'm a big fan of Sean. And I think he's a, he's a tremendous player and he can add so much to the side and to the squad. But you've got to pick your players that are, that are playing well and, and scoring runs. And, and that means Renshaw's got to play the first test. And, and if he misses out and gets found out, then he gets found out. But if you don't give him the opportunity, how do we ever know? Nathan, which wicketkeeper do you take to India? Is that a question? Or is it... <laughs> it's a question, it's not, definitely a question. That's not, that's not even... like I know everybody will sit there, but it's, it, to me, it, that's not even a, an option to take anybody else. You take your best keeper. And we've seen... I think I've counted the three drop catches that we've seen through the Test Series, whereas Neville wasn't doing that. He takes the opportunities and... I had the privilege of playing with him at New South Wales and I had the privilege of playing with him at Eastern Suburbs. And I knew if 
the batter got anything on it, he was catching it. And I I remember very, very rarely was there ever a mistake behind the stumps from from Nev and he works very, very hard at what he does and he's in form now scoring runs as well. So the thing is it, it gets hard doing playing test cricket. It gets hard for these boys and, and the grind and, and five days out there and then backing up again, the the media on your back and and all these things and the thing that I sort of looked at with Nev and, and how he went about his job, even when he wasn't scoring runs, his keeping didn't suffer. He really worked hard and he was really tidy behind the stumps and I think that shows a lot and gives a lot of credit to the man himself because I guess when one thing starts to fail, often something else can. And he just worked really, really hard behind the stumps and, and yeah, I think he, he needs to go. I don't think that's a I don't think there's another option really. I think that is absolutely fair enough. Now, while Australia has had plenty of highlights, Pakistan hasn't had as many, but I'd really like to mention Yunus Khan, who became the first batsman to score 100 in each of the 11 countries that have hosted Test cricket with his 136 runs. Um, he was an absolute pleasure to watch as well. Yeah, he's, he's an amazing cricketer. And the, I know the time he spent with, with South Australia and I remember playing, playing against him twice in Sydney and in Adelaide and... He was just a different class of player. Um, I remember a game, a game in Sydney. It was it was turning. It was day four on a turning wicket in Sydney, and and he looked like he was playing on a totally different cricket pitch to anybody else. And you don't, when you're out in the field, you don't like to sit back and watch players and and sort of when they're batting well, you prefer them back in the pavilion. But he was one player that he he batted amazingly well and and made it look so easy. And and he was facing Stuart McGill and and guys like this on on a tough wicket and. He was a class player, and that's that's the biggest thing. And you still look now; he's he's a class above. He he never looks rushed or hurried, and and looks in control, and and that's a big thing. And he adds stability into a Pakistan lineup that, as we've seen, when they get it right, they can be explosive and magical. But when they get it wrong, there can be a, a lot of issues. And and he's a player that sort of he's the key to holding them together. Now, before we let you go, Nathan, thanks so much for coming on and giving us all your analysis on Test Cricket. It's been fantastic. Uh, I, I want to put you on the spot here and ask who you think the top two teams will be in the Big Bash this year. Who are we going to see in the final? Oh, um, <laughs> well, to be honest, the, the big thing is, I guess, we'll, we'll look at, I guess, when you have a look, you look at Lynn, mm-hmm. it's whether he stays or goes. That's going to be your massive equation for the Heat. Um, and if he stays, then you've got to be, they've got to be pushing as favourites. Yeah. Because you've got a, a class batsman there and, and you've got a very solid bowling attack that does, that does the job. They know their roles very well. Um, and knowing their coach personally, he's, he's a player that will make sure everybody knows their role and knows what they need to do. And then it's hard to go past the scorchers when you have a look at, they play very, very well. They're very consistent. They've been up there pretty much every year. Uh, I would love to pick a Sydney team. <laughs> but at the moment, they're they're the ones that that are there. They're, there's a few that are there thereabouts, um, and we just need something special, something to say, hey, yep, like for the Sixers, they need a couple of players to really stand up and put up a couple of good performances, and then all of a sudden you say, yep, they're a chance. But at the moment, those two teams are just sitting above there. They're playing sort of a different level, and and I guess we sort of saw a preview of what was to come, and. When you have a look at the game in Perth, it was explosive, it was entertaining, and and I guess Chris Lynn factor was the difference. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. No, anytime. Not a worry in the world. This is Around the Ground!
It's time for Around the Grounds. What's in the inbox this week, Mary? So it's been a little bit quiet in the inbox this week, Britt, because I think everyone is taking a break from local cricket. But the first thing that I wanted to mention was that everyone should get out to the SCG today if you're not doing anything. It's day five of the Sydney test and gates are open for a gold coin donation and all the money raised today will go towards the McGrath Foundation who have already raised $412,115 at time of recording. By the time you listen, it'll probably be more. Hopefully. And that's, Fingers yeah, crossed. and that's absolutely <laughs> smashed their $390,000 total. So well done to everyone who's been so generous. Um, the generosity of the sporting community in this country never ceases to amaze me. And that includes the police officers that were working on the day because more than 100 officers who were rostered on to work donated their wages to the foundation and they were wearing those pink caps. And I love it. Isn't that amazing? You know, I mean, cricket's fun to watch, but I'm sure some of them don't love the game and then they've donated their wage to, to be there for that day. I thought that was fantastic. I love it. What have you got for us, Britt? Uh, so Tabitha Seville, who is actually from the Northern Territory, made her debut for the Adelaide Strikers last week and I didn't mention her in our Women's Big Bash section, so I thought that was important. Um, she's 18 years old and a gum batter. And the youngest member of the squad this season, she caught Elise Perry when the Sixers were one for a hundred in that game. So already making big strides, it seems. And she's actually said she believes the standard of Australians women's cricket is better than the men's. So she's, (laughs) she's having a shot at the guys already. Now, Brett, it's time, I think, for the show to make a little bit of a confession. This show is a little bit of a ruse. All we really want to do is talk about Simon Anderson from the Sydney Thunder on our show. And he's come out with Simon, another... Simon, we love you. We do love you. Uh, Simon's come up with another cracker this week. So he posted a photo on Instagram yesterday of Chris Botherway, who is the media manager for the Sydney Thunder. And we all know that the Sydney Thunder have a new recruit this week. His name is James Vince and he's from the UK. And a poor journalist turned up to interview James, but Chris Botherway also has an English accent, so the poor journo started asking Chris questions instead, thinking that he was Vince. It was James Vince. Um, it's like a nightmare, isn't it? It I is mean, a nightmare. I clearly hadn't done his research, and I think we've all been underprepared sometimes, but seriously, <laughs> that was very funny. That's very funny. So, Simon, please come and join us on the show one more time before the season ends. We are, We always love having a chat about you. And Brent, I think that's it for us today. It's been a, a really fun show today. It has. We've had some great guests on, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we have had some great guests on. What are you up to <laughs> for the rest of the weekend? Uh, well, we're back at cricket. Uh, T20 comp starts today for the rest of the season. So excited about that. I was in the nets yesterday because I've been at the, the test a lot, um, watching the, the big guns do it all. I miss cricket training. So I had to make sure I got a net session in there somewhere and it's been super hot. It has been. It has been super hot. I think all the cricket that's been happening is a blur in our minds, isn't it? When it comes time to sit down and and prepare for this show, we're sort of like, what happens again? Because there is so much cricket happening. There's so much cricket happening between the WBBL, the Big Bash and the Test. It's, It's blowing my mind a little bit at the moment, but it's been great and a lot of fun to watch. I've actually got a little bit of housekeeping for everyone this week. So... If you head to ladieswholeg.com.au, you'll find a handy little subscribe to us button. Now, if you hit that subscribe button, you can sign up to receive our email newsletter, which I've started sending out every week as of last week. So you'll receive all our new episodes and all the latest articles from Ladies Who League. And the other thing is we really, really need your help. So Ladies Who League has been nominated for a Castaway Podcast Award. We're featuring in two categories, the sports category and the popular vote. 
Now, you can't help us win the sport one, but you can definitely help us win the popular vote. So I'll send out a link in that newsletter. I'll send out the link on Twitter. All you need to do is vote, and if you could share it with your friends, that would be great. We're currently sitting in fourth place, and I'm hoping for a late surge towards the final. What do you reckon, Britt? I think we can do it. I think we can do it too with all our amazing listeners. So thank you. And as always, thank you for listening. Make sure you jump onto iTunes and leave us a review. We've had some great ones this week, and they just absolutely make me smile. Britt, do you want to say goodbye? You've been listening to Ladies Who Legspin. In the air, and it's taken what a catch! My goodness me, Jess Jonathan never would have a smile. Finger goes up, excellent over so far from Deandra Dutton. You're listening to Ladies Who Legs Be.